0: As we read 1 Samuel 18. This is God's word. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine. The women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul kept an eye on David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. And Saul had his spear in his hand, And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him, but it departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter, Mirah. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him. But let the hand of the Philistines be against him? And David said to Saul, Who am I, and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Mirab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Mehothalite, for a wife. Now Saul's daughter, Michal, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him. And that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servant, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, "Thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemy." they saw thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law before the time had expired. David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michal, for a wife. But when Saul saw that he knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy, continually. And then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle. And as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. Amen. And we thank God uh, for his word. I have a wee photo there, Dougie, if you put it up. It should be in the slide. I'm about to break your hearts, folks. So that's what you see. You see this? I'm going to look stupid now. Stand with my finger in the air like this. No, No, no. Look, look. Isn't that lovely? See the wee one? that's got a slightly more ginger head. That one's called Boo. And the one beside Boo is called Buddy. These are Pomeranian dogs. Uh, and Boo, the Pomeranian, the, the wee ginger-herd-looking one, uh, he at a time was considered the world's cutest dog. Now here's where it gets sad. See, both of those Buddies up there, they're both dead. All right? All right want to cut straight to the chase. They've been and gone, they've had their day, they're done, Uh, they're in the ground. Now their owners have said something very lovely, they're talking this week about our poor wee Boo is away and somewhere at the end of the rainbow him and his friend Buddy are playing and laughing and dancing again and I'm thinking no they're not, no they're not. But anyway, the wee ginger herd one, Boo the Pomeranian, the world's most gorgeous dog. Boo's owners, uh, after Boo's death, are pretty convinced that Boo died of a broken heart. See, his wee friend there, Buddy, his wee buddy, is literally called Buddy. Buddy died at the end of 2017. And Boo's owner said that Boo was never the same after Buddy died. He started to have heart issues after Buddy's death. He, he just wasn't as happy as he used to be. He just. Didn't want to hang out with all the other Pomeranians the way he used to do. And, and just about 12 or 13 months later, little Boo died. The world's most beautiful, cutest wee dog died, as owners say, of a broken heart. We'll close there. No, we won't. We won't. But, but what a story, isn't it? Isn't it lovely? And yet, see, in human terms, many of us have broken hearts. Many of us have hearts that are just absolutely done Hearts that are sick. Hearts that are tired. Hearts that are weary. Hearts that have just been beat up one too many times. Hearts which just, at this point in time, are longing for home, Longing for a day that will come where we just don't have to worry anymore about the things that people call us or the, the stories that are told about us or the motives that have been ascribed to us. Friends, many of us will understand what it is to have broken hearts. Many of us will understand what it is to be betrayed and mocked and laughed at and maybe even despised and hated. And you know, it has been nothing new for God's people. There is nothing new under the sun. And certainly if if you know what it is just to be weary with the barbs and the nonsense that comes in this town, in your family, in this church, in this world, then the word, I think, has something to say to you. See, folks, tonight many of us perhaps have those broken, sore hearts. I hope we don't go the way of little Boo the Pomeranian. I, I really hope that. Uh, rumor has it that his uh, owners mistook him for a marshmallow and put him in the microwave, but I'm sure that that is not true. But, folks, if you have a sore heart tonight, if you're fed up, then I think we see in David here how we can stand up on it. See, we shouldn't be surprised tonight if we feel despised and rejected. Uh, there shouldn't be nothing new to that under the sun for us as Christians. The Lord Jesus made it clear to us in John's Gospel, chapter 15. The Lord says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were off the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not off the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And we read that, and it, and it doesn't quite square with with the image that we have of Christianity, which is basically uh, fire insurance. We, we don't want to go to hell, so we'll trust Christ, we'll not go to hell, and, and surely everything's going to be great. Surely, once we've come to Jesus, everything will go well. And yet we don't understand it when, when friends turn against us. We don't understand it when colleagues at work seem to despise us we don't understand it when people start ignoring us for no earthly reason that we seem to be aware of at times we look at situations like that we look at our broken hearts our sore hearts and we think why is this happening what's this about because well i'm a christian so that must mean everything's good nothing ever goes wrong for a christian and my friends that of course is not the case You and I both know and you and I both have the experience of of times that things have gone wrong for us. At times where we have cried under our pillow at night because we do not feel love. We don't have a boo or a buddy to stand alongside us. There's nobody that feels is is on our side or, or has our back. We know what it's like at times to be despised and rejected. And although it surprises us, it shouldn't again, the Lord makes it clear. If the world hates you, if you know those days and nights of sadness, if your heart in this day, this night, this year, here in February, if your heart is sore and sick and tired, well, it hated me before it hated you. We cannot expect more than our Master received. We cannot expect happiness and joy when our Master did not receive it. We cannot expect the the bright and sheltered side of the hill when our master did not receive it. And friends, tonight I preach this sermon because it's here in front of us. We work our way through each and every chapter of this book. But also I preach it for for those of you tonight, and it might just be one of you, two of you, three, four, it might be every one of us, but I, I preach this sermon to you tonight who just feels done in, fed up, Despised and rejected and treated abysmally and unfairly by this world, by people around you, maybe even by people in this church. We should not underestimate the world's hatred for those who love Christ. Really, they don't hate you, they hate Jesus, and so they get at us to get at Him. That's how it works. And we see the fruit of of the attacks on us in this passage. By this juncture, you will know the story. Uh, Saul is still the king. He hasn't been uh, thrown off the throne just yet. David has been anointed to be the next king. And in the last chapter, last week, we talked about how David goes out, stands before this big Philistine, and he kills him. Uh, David is not having it. Uh, Goliath is, is mocking the Lord. He's mocking the Lord's people, and David puts an end to it. And this success, it seems, turns into defeat. Because by this stage everything seems to go wrong. Saul is angry against David, Saul despises David, Saul wants David done away with. And friends, the the tactics that Saul brings to bear and his uh, derision and hatred towards God's servant David are still ones that we can expect today. Still ones that perhaps we have experienced when we come across our own enemies in the Church of Jesus Christ and outside, and ones that I hope Even though tonight we make you a of from again you will not fear. See, Saul threatens physical harm against David. Saul threatens harm against the one who the Lord has anointed. Friends, it shouldn't surprise us that in this day and age, uh, in Islamic countries, if someone converts to Christ, they can have their lives taken from them. The enemy still uses the same tactics, try to stamp out the gospel the enemy still uses these same tactics to try and destroy god's people you don't have to read too much when you go onto the open doors website about this tactic being evident all across the the world and where the church is persecuted physical harm is threatened to the people of god and we see it here david uh, in chapter 18 in verse 10 we read that a harmful spirit from god rushed upon Saul. He was ranting and raving in his house while David was playing. And Saul picks up a spear and hurls it at David. And he thought, I will pin David to the wall. Thankfully, David evaded that. But Saul was not finished. In verse 25, Saul says, "'Thus you shall say to David, "'The king desires no bride price "'except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, "'that he may be avenged of the king's enemies.'" Uh, Gentlemen, if any of you have a daughter, write that verse down and have great fun uh, when Stephen or Jim or Sammy or whoever it is comes up your driveway seeking your daughter's hand. Mr. Woodburn, can I marry your daughter? Yes, you can. But I have a wee job for you first. Saul asks for this. Go and and kill a hundred foreskins. Bring them back. Because Saul's thinking David will fall by the hand of the Philistines. Saul is a schemer, and he hopes that that David will fall by the wayside. He, he hopes, he hopes that David will be killed by the Philistines to get rid of his problem. And in chapter 19, Saul does not stop. We read in verses 8 on down to 10, there was war again. David goes out and fights with the Philistines, and again when he returns, a harmful spirit from the Lord comes upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, And again, David was playing music. And again, Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But again, thanks be to God, he eluded Saul. And we see it again in verse 11 on down to 17. The evil one is still at work. Let's stamp out the people of God. Let's use violence against the people of God. This time, Saul sends messengers to David's house to watch over him, that they might kill him. And this time, thankfully, David's wife, Saul's daughter, Michal, stands up and says... You better get out of here, or you're going to be killed. Friends, we should not be surprised when we hear stories all around the world of our brothers and sisters losing their lives for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. And we should not be surprised, even in this day and age, if we are threatened with physical violence for the sake of Christ. When you listen to stories from friends of mine, like Owen Patterson down in Down public or, or others that do a bit of outreach in the streets of Belfast, it doesn't take too long before the evil one seeks to to hurt and trip up and cause harm to the church. We do not need to be surprised when the evil one uses these tactics. But it's not just physical harm. We we see a deceitful spirit in Saul. We see lies at the heart of what he is up to. In chapter 19 and verse 6, Saul listens to his son Jonathan. Saul listens to his son and he says, You have no reason to kill David. David is a good man. He is a servant of the Lord. He has brought great honor to God. He has brought salvation to the Lord's people. If you take his life, you are taking innocent blood. And so what does Saul swear? As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And as far as Jonathan's concerned, he calls his friend David. He reports everything. And David comes back into Saul's presence because it's all sorted out. I spoke to my father, and my father says, he's not going to be harmed. And what do we see, quite quickly? A spear chucked at David's head. Messenger sent to kill him in the morning. Saul is a liar. As we heard this morning, uh, Satan has been sinning from the beginning, and Jesus calls him a liar and the father of lies. The evil one uses a deceitful spirit to bring harm to the church, to the people of God, to the bride of Christ. And not only is there physical harm threatened or or deceit and lies used in the enemy's tactics, but also spiritual harm. In chapter 18 and verse 21, Saul thinks to himself, I will give my daughter to David. Let me give her to him so they can be happy, so that they can have lots of little babies, so that they can spend summer days walking on the beach at Port Rush, Let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Saul, it seems, doesn't think much of his daughter. It seems perhaps she's an idolater, and he thinks to himself, here's my daughter. She can bring harm to David. She can snare him. She can trap him. Friends, these tactics are as old as time, when the enemy Turns his face against us when you feel persecuted when when your heart is sore and broken when lies are spoken against you when people threaten you when when spiritual harm is wished against you nothing is new under the sun not a bit of it but thankfully we need not fear thankfully we need not worry as we look through all of this we see the providential hand of god protecting david against the enemy's predictable attacks And you might think to yourself, well, where does all this rage and anger come from? Spiritually speaking, we know where it comes from. The Lord Jesus has already said, you're hated, you're despised. This comes because the world has hated me before it hated you. That is the the primary source. But where does it come from in our relationships? Where did it come from that time your, your brother betrayed you and he hasn't spoken to you since? Where did it come from that time that that a friend in this church told lies about you and gossiped about you and slandered you? Where did that come from? How does that spring up? Friends, often it comes in the most tiny of way, in the most unseen circumstance. It comes and we leave room for the enemy and he twists and he turns and suddenly we are filled with anger and bitterness and jealousy towards a brother or sister in Christ. In this case, it comes from a song. I love this chapter. We read in verse 6, and as I read it, it always reminds me of the 11th night. As they were coming home from battle, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing. You can imagine them, can't you? Templemore Avenue. Yo! all that there. They're coming out. They're rejoicing because a great victory has been won for God's people. Everything is good. They come out with tambourines, with songs of joy, with Union Jack plastic hats on their head, with musical instruments. Everything is wonderful. And then they open their mouth. The women sing a song to one another as they celebrate. That's it's not very catchy. I've never heard the Getty setting this to a modern tune. I don't think we're ever going to sing it in Eden Grove, but here's how the song goes. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. the very next words we read in God's Word in verse 8, Saul was very angry. Saul was very angry. This saying, Displeased him. put it a way that perhaps my mother would put it, Saul's nose was put out of joy. Saul was filled with, with jealousy and bitterness and anger and rage because they were singing about him, but they were also singing about David and, and boasting a wee bit more about David. So straightforward, so innocuous, so uh, lacking in meaning, and yet there's Saul that day, and you can imagine them, can't you, walking along in triumph, and, and David is near him, and they're celebrating, and everybody's singing, but in his heart, in his pit of a heart, he's already thinking, this guy's got to go. This guy's got to go. Friends, where does it come from when you and I fall out? Where does it come from when, when churches split? Where does it come from when when someone betrays you, oftentimes from something so small, so tiny, so lacking in meaning, but because there's room in our heart for, for bitterness and jealousy and the evil one to work, suddenly it's World War Three over nothing in particular. And friends, haven't we seen that all too often? You go to a church somewhere and it's it, it's fighting a bit out and as a, a presbytery, a commissioner of Down presbytery, we go and we sit and it's... It's over something so minor, something so trivial, but but positions are so hard, we're against each other so much, that we can't back down and we won't back down and we will fight and we will die for this cause. Pastor McConnell used to say that he had done his best in his ministry to keep the evil one outside, but he had firmly believed in the last years of his ministry that someone had opened the window. Where does it come from when we turn against each other, when the world hates us? Sometimes from just a word that we've meant nothing by, a song that we didn't mean to sing, just a circumstance that we we honestly didn't see anything in, and suddenly we despise each other. Back in my Sunday school days in Bloomfield Congregational, I don't remember much about those days, but I always remember... Uh, Mr. Hayes, the minister, his daughter Sharon, uh, for two reasons, because I, I fancied her. She was my first crush, but probably about 30 years older than me, but there it was. And also because she, she had a great voice and she did all the actions and she used to sing this wee song. If you know it, Anne, already? She's dozing. Get the, get the hands out now. Get them out, get them gone. All the little rabbits in the fields of corn Envy, jealousy, malice, and pride. Nan's not doing the actions she's trying to hide. Those weren't the original words, but you remember that? That's where it comes from. In the hearts of those in the world who despise us, and sad to say in the hearts of brothers and sisters of faith who we worship with week after week, who for some reason as the enemy works in the church to divide it, anger and jealousy and bitterness and all those things that shouldn't be in us are in us and it causes all this other stuff. It causes the threats of physical harm and and the lies and the deceit and the spiritual harm that we seek sometimes on a brother or sister. And so friends as we read this passage as as we see Saul under God's judgment this evil spirit rushes upon him and, and and it sends him mental. Saul is under the judgment of God. But we see this man utterly out of control, seeking to destroy David because the women that sang and danced on the 11th night seemed to like him a wee bit more than they like me. You wouldn't believe it. Sure you wouldn't. But how many times is that the exact story in our own lives and in our own churches? And so friends, what can we do about this? Well, I can... Say simply, that we can strive not to be a pawn in the plans of the enemy. We can be men and women who make sure the windows are all closed in our church. We can be much in prayer. We can we can pray for situations that we've heard about and, and seem far beyond the resolution of humans. But, but we look on to the Lord and we pray that he can sort them out and fix them. What can we do? We can examine our own hearts. And we can forgive others as we have been forgiven if we are so cross about that person that said that thing and will never forgive them, it's time to forgive them. We can come before the Lord with much repentance and and ask him to forgive us and to restore the, the relationship that we have with individuals. And friends, we can play our part in this to make sure that we stand together and remain standing together. Every gossipy conversation in the church car park can go. Every story that you pass on about a brother or sister in Christ without verifying the truth of it can go. Every lie that you are hearing, that you believe without thinking about it, it can go. And every time you justify, instead of challenging someone by saying, oh, that's just Sammy. That's just what he's like. Challenge Sammy. Don't excuse him. Challenge him. And every little roll of the eye every little slanderous word, and every little wink and nod and nudge, brothers and sisters, they can go. May we lock the doors and the windows against the evil one, because he prowls about our great enemy like a lion looking for someone to devour. Friends, I pray that he will not devour you, nor will he devour me. We should not be surprised that the enemy uses these ways to try to destroy the people of God. It should not surprise us when there are divisions and troubles and and circumstances and and situations that that cause us to weep. We should not be surprised. But equally, we should not be knee-deep in them. We should not be playing our part. We should not be adding fuel to the fire, but instead with prayer and repentance and faith there should be men and women striving to show the evil one the door again in our fellowships. My friends, the reality of this, I'm sad to say, is that if you have a broken heart, if you are sore, the chances are, nine times out of ten, it comes in church. It comes in our fellowships. We we are hurt the most in these four walls. and In this complex, we, we are harmed the most. when When Christians seem to they don't love us anymore. They don't want to speak to us for some reason. You, you've done something. You've you've obviously annoyed them, but they'll never discuss it. They'll just ignore you. They'll walk away, and you hear stories and and the lies that are being told, and they're not true. But you'll never get your day in court, friends. All too often, we are hurt the most, and this is the place that we are hurt. I pray tonight for a couple of things. Firstly if you have been hurt, if you have been wounded, and I suspect probably the vast majority of us could say we have, may we come unto the Lord and may he bind up our wounds, may he draw out the poison, may he set us again on our feet and help us to forgive. A friend of mine recently, a colleague in ministry said, Scott, we just don't do forgiveness in the church. And I thought, you know, that's tragic, but I think it's absolutely right half the time. May the Lord help us to forgive, but also may the Lord help us to put an end to the nonsense. And friends, I urge you to be wise in church, any church. Perhaps the most difficult individual I have ever met has been someone who you would look at and say, that man's a Christian. That man loves the Lord. That man is a great man, but he has left a trail of devastation in many places that I have seen. be wise. Just because it looks Christian, sounds Christian, tastes Christian, smells Christian, does not mean it is Christian. There are wolves in among the flock of Jesus Christ seeking to devour. If you see a wolf, don't pat it in the head. Don't excuse it. Don't just say, ah, it's only a wolf. Stand against it and allow no one to be carried off in the jaws of the enemy. Friends, as I preach these things, you think, Scott, you put that fluffy wee picture up on the screen. That's about the nicest thing that you've said tonight. Can we go home now? It's like watching a, a, an episode of Crime Watch for you up there preaching. Here's the good stuff. Friends, even though we see in these chapters the enemy is at work, Do not fear. Here's what the Lord says in Isaiah 41. Fear not, he says, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. Friends, the Lord is for us. And so with that as the reality, we can take the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as true when he says, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more than they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him, he says. Jesus says, do not be filled with fear for those who seek to destroy you. those who who seek to wound you and hurt you and lie about you and and seek to gather others to their cause, do not fear those, says Jesus. Instead, fear God. For after all, in the same passage, the Lord says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not you are of more value than many sparrows, Friends, at times when we're getting it tight, it's hard to believe that. But it is true. At times when it seems that we are utterly friendless, it's hard to believe that. But it is true. You see, tonight in the midst of difficult circumstances and persecution and lies and all the slander and everything under the sun that sometimes gets thrown our way is a real blessing for us tonight. One is that we are part of a church. And life in any church is not always sweetness and light, but life in any church sometimes is incredibly sweet. Friends, I urge you tonight to have a wee look about this place. Really don't look behind you, past Petra, because... There's nobody back there. It's just empty seats. But just in that middle section, even up in the choir here, have a wee look. And let your wee eyes fall on that person who you know has got your back. You see, Jesus tells us here that we are not to fear. He is on our side, and he has put us as part of his bride, the church. And we even see in these passages that even though David has the king, the powerful man, the most powerful man in the nation, against him, Jonathan draws near to David. And even in the opening verses of chapter 18, Jonathan takes his clothes off. He, he does this hugely symbolic sign, as if to say, I'm with you. I've seen what you've done. I know what you're about. I know you love the Lord. I've got your back. And friends, tonight we need a Jonathan in our life. And even David's wife, Mikaela, the, the snare, as Saul hoped she would be, she draws alongside him, And she stands for him. And she tells him, you better get out of here or my dad's going to kill you. Literally, he's going to kill you. Sometimes we need that. And my friends, my brothers and sisters, I urge you tonight, maybe you've been putting it off, maybe you haven't said it in a very long time, maybe you are deeply uncomfortable by the thought of it, but I challenge you tonight, go this evening to someone in this number and let them know I'm with you. I've heard what you're going through. I know what they're saying about you. I don't believe it. I'm with you. I'm praying for you. And when you get those hateful emails in, well, I'll stand beside you. And when somebody calls you names down the town, I will stand up for you. I am with you. My friends, that's what it is to be part of the church. Windows closed. But standing shoulder to shoulder in here. But it's not just the Jonathans in there michael's who are standing beside each other see we have the tonight the blessing of the true jonathan the one who is always faithful the one who who goes to calvary and and his clothes are removed and he dies there for our sake the one who we trust in and he gives us bright shiny new garments the one who stands for us and and the one who has defeated the enemy and the one who sends his angels to protect us. The one who is the true, great Jonathan who we call Jesus. And my friends, we often take that for granted, but but I pray that if you are heart sore tonight, if you're weary at the lies and the nonsense, if you get that text even before you go to bed and you think, why did they say that? Why did they call me that? When When you're in the midst of it, friends, the temptation is to Flee anywhere to get a bit of a break. But I pray you'll not just flee anywhere. You'll flee to Jonathan. You'll flee to Jesus. Our friend, our faithful one. The one that we can trust to have our side always. Friends, you're not like Boo, the Pomeranian, who died of a broken heart because his buddy-buddy went before him. For as long as you are alive and well and there is breath in your body, then you do not stand alone. You do not stand alone. You do not stand alone. So I pray that you will take courage and take heart to me, especially if you feel it giving up, and especially if you think the battle is too fierce against you and it would be best just for everybody if you weren't here anymore not believe the lies of the evil one but instead believe the truth of the lord who says i am with you friends ultimately anything we go through will resound in the praise of the lord and i want you to see that i don't say that to make light of what you're going through i don't say it to pat you on the head and and send you home to make you feel stupid, but I say it because it is true. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, on Providence, the Westminster Divine said that God is the great creator of all things, and he upholds, disposes, and governs all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy Providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will. Or in other words, God is in control. And he is even providentially sovereign over your enemies, over those people who despise you and and have done their best to destroy you. God is sovereign over them. He will limit their actions against you. He will never leave you. He will always protect you. And all of that will resound for your good. And as the confession says, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom. His power, his justice, his goodness, and his mercy. You see, Saul despised David, all because of a song. Because women, one night in one town, sang a wee song that belittled him. But by the end of chapter 19, Saul goes to find David. David's with Samuel at this point at Ramah. And every time Saul sends his messengers to take David, the Spirit rushes upon them and they begin to prophesy. It happens three times until finally Saul goes down himself and everything's turned upside down for this wicked king. He goes and the Spirit of God comes upon him, not in salvation but in judgment. And it strips this wicked king bare, he takes off his clothes and even he begins to prophesy. And so to this very day it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? The people couldn't believe it. Saul's nuts. Saul's nuts lost control, but, but Ramah, he's stripped naked and he's prophesying. It was a sign of judgment against Saul, but it was a sign of God's providential protection for David. Friends, know this. The enemies against you might number in their thousands. The lies that have been told about you may unfortunately stand in this town until the day you die the nonsense that people think about you and the agenda that they have against you perhaps will not change. But even if everybody in this town was camped outside your house tonight, even if you felt you had no Jonathan and no Micaiah beside you, standing for you, the Lord is on your side. His word will bring you sustenance in the midst of the battle And the evil one will not have his way with you. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you, says Psalm 76. The remnant of wrath you will put on like a belt. My friends, do not fear. Yes, the enemy is strong. Yes, with him is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord to help us our battles. Amen. Let me thank God tonight for his work.